Please find your bulletin insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it today found in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first chapter, a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. We'll begin to read at verse 18. And let us read the Word of God together. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As you can probably guess, this is a passage of Scripture that I have used many times over the years during the season of Advent, and that's one of the great things about God's holy word is that with the power of the Holy Spirit, He can take the same passage of Scripture and and give us something different from it that we maybe hadn't seen or heard or read before. I think most of the time that is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we come to the same passage of Scripture, maybe it's your favorite passage whatever it happens to be. And at times, all of a sudden, you'll see some little nuance that you hadn't picked up on before. That's the work of the Holy Spirit combined with, I believe, at the same time, a difference of where we are in our lives. A passage, a certain passage may speak something to us when we're in our 20s and speak something else or something added on to when we're in our 50s or our 60s. I know I I used this passage back in the 90s, and always this passage, the main point, is the coming of Jesus Christ, this wonderful gift that God is giving. But in that particular sermon, I really emphasized Emmanuel, this gift of God with us, which is a good way to go in this passage, but I neglected someone that's talked about a great deal in this passage, in that former sermon, that being Joseph. Joseph, the carpenter, Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, Joseph, the so-called father of Jesus. And that former sermon on this passage points out what the rest of the Gospels testify, and that is that of all the characters we find during the season of Advent, Joseph is many times the most neglected. If you should take the time during this Advent season, and I would commend this to you, take the time to say, read the first five chapters of each of the Gospels. That would be a great goal for you to do sometime during the season of Advent. If you do that, you'll notice that Luke mentions Joseph only in passing. Mark seems to overlook the father at all. He just sort of begins full speed with John the, John the Baptist. And then in John's gospel, he simply writes, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, there are more verses on the shepherds and the wise men than we find with Joseph as the subject in Scripture. And yet the Gospel of Matthew, and especially our passage before us this morning, shows that this man Joseph is worth knowing. In fact, from this passage we can learn some things about Joseph that hopefully will help us as we go through this Advent season and in the year to come. And one thing we read about him is that when he found out that Mary was with child, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he was thinking about divorcing her quietly. And notice what verse 19 says. It's because Joseph was a righteous man that he has this particular plan in mind. And while this passage tells us lots of things, one of the things we begin to understand here is that there were at least two major avenues for divorce for Jews in that day and time. And one avenue involved exposing the offending party publicly and thus destroying the person's reputation in the eyes of of the whole community. It was Nathaniel Hawthorne who made that method well known in his novel, The Scarlet Letter. You remember his heroine, Hester Prynne, has to wear that huge scarlet letter A everywhere she goes, bringing with it stares and ugly comments and all the rest. Matthew tells us that Joseph had the type of character that refused to take that available low road. Instead, he decided to take another avenue which was also lawful, that is to divorce her quietly, meaning just before two witnesses. And you see, that tells us that Joseph had a great deal of love and care for Mary, even yet, or at least that's what I see in, the, in, the, in that decision. And though I would imagine he was terribly disappointed at what he thought she had done, he decided to act in a manner that was good and lawful for the both of them, and not just for himself. I just wonder how many times we have that kind of decision 
facing us, not so much dealing with the unfaithfulness of a spouse, but I'm talking about a decision where lawfully there are two roads we can take. We can take a high road and we can take a lower road. Which do we decide to take? I mean, if we're a Carolina fan, are we going to keep our mouth closed today? Are we going to boast and brag? Are we always about law? Or do we have some grace in there? But then we read that these plans of Joseph for divorce were exactly that. His plans and not those of God. We read, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And here we see that Joseph is all of a sudden faced with another decision. He's already made the decision to treat Mary fairly and with grace, but now a whole avenue, a whole new avenue of grace opens up to actually take her as his wife, a a challenging proposition which would go against everything that his society and upbringing would teach. Not to mention the fact of the stigma that he would carry around in his community with a wife who is already pregnant. And therein we see the difficulty of the decision with which he's faced once he's had this dream. And one thing I want you to see here is that oftentimes that's what God calls us to do, is to make difficult decisions. Not everything is easy out there in Christian land, and especially in God's will and purpose for your life and for mine. Sometimes there are very difficult decisions to make. Think about Abraham, who was called to leave his home, his family, everything he'd ever known, and go to some place that God would show him. Better yet, think about Moses. to whom God said, I want you to go back to the land of Egypt, yes, even though you've committed murder there and may still be wanted by Pharaoh and his authorities, I want you to go back and I want you to lead my people out of there. Yeah, that's hundreds of thousands of Israelites and going up against Pharaoh's army. And what what army does Moses have? None at all. Or think about Hosea a religious man, a prophet, to whom God said, I want you to go and marry this prostitute. Would you want your pastor to marry a prostitute in the community? That's the kind of decision God was asking Hosea to make. And Joseph has the same kind of hard decision here. Well, if I have to listen to God, then I'm going to have to carry this stigma in my community. He could have kept the law. He could have put her away quietly. But instead, he takes another 
major step from law to grace by listening to the angel and discerning this is truly from God. And so like Jesus would one day teach, we see Joseph himself going far beyond what the law required. Perhaps this is what Matthew was reflecting upon when he labeled Joseph as a righteous or just man. Now notice how Matthew also in the midst of this story about Joseph and Mary and how Jesus is being born, he gives us the theological backdrop, if you will, to the large story that God has going on for all of His creation. You know, as we read through Scripture, there's always a large story in the midst of all of the little stories that we see from passage to passage. And He gives us a beautiful view of this large story. Look at verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we'll come back to this larger picture in a few moments, but first let's deal with this smaller story of Joseph, this righteous man. When he woke up, Matthew tells us he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He not only heard the word of God, he was obedient to that word. And not only here, but later on in Matthew, we can read two other accounts of angels appearing to Joseph and how he listens to them and takes seriously what it is they have to say to him. So we can begin to see the pieces of the puzzle of Joseph's character come together. He's a righteous man. He is one who takes seriously his relationship with God and God's will upon his life. He's also one who takes seriously his relationships with other people. We can also see that he's a man who readily listens and is open to other ideas and possibilities and is discerning enough to know when those alternatives are there and when and how they gain meaning from God. And perhaps this Advent, as well as others to come, we would do well to follow Joseph's example. After all, Christmas reminds us of anything. It reminds us to be loving and just. Even the Scrooges of the world don't find themselves immune during this season of the year. Joseph teaches us to give ourselves to the decent and the good, to the pure, and the truly human, to to walk the extra mile, figuratively speaking, and turn the other cheek. Because as Jesus and the Scriptures teach, these are the qualities that promote the integrity of life and the kinds of characteristics that describe kingdom living. But Joseph also teaches us something else here. He teaches us to listen to the great voices in our lives as well. You know, in a world like ours with so much noise, so many decibels, so many sounds, so many DVDs, so much music, so many words, iPads and iPods, have you noticed how 
the emphasis is always on the I with those devices. And if it's all about me, it's hard to hear the great voices. Joseph was able to hear God's words to him in that dream of his. What are, what are we able to hear? Why not this Advent seek to listen to the great voices if you're not already? In other words, save time for prayer. Save time for meditating upon God's holy word and for being still and knowing that God is God and hearing His voice to you in whatever form or fashion it may be found. One of the voices we have in this text is that of God through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even though this sermon is speaking of the things Joseph can teach us, there are more important things happening in this passage than simply the good things we learn from Joseph's example. Yes, it's great that he gives us an example of one who's tuned into God, one who tries to live by God's Word, one who offers grace when he could have demanded law. But what God is calling him to participate in is so much larger, so far beyond what he could think or imagine because it's the gift of one who will save his people. And see, you've got to personalize this text. That means it's the gift of one who saves you and me. That's what we're talking about here. And not only does He give us the gift of salvation, but He is with us even now and every day of our lives. Now we're getting back to that bigger picture in the text The uniqueness of this gift of God's love is portrayed through this unheard of act in the Holy Spirit in conceiving this child in Mary. We can see that Jesus has a human lineage from the first chapters of the Gospels. We can see that He has a human name, even a human birth but He also has a divine relationship through this work of the Holy Spirit and He's given a divine and prophetic description through the name Emmanuel. He is truly very God and very man, as the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it. And what all of this means ultimately is that God has taken on human nature and is now with His people in this gift of Jesus Christ, the baby born in a manger. Michael Wilkins makes the point in his commentary that by identifying Jesus as God with us, Matthew is continuing a theme that permeates the Old Testament, this whole concept of God being with His people. Remember, if we go back to Leviticus 26, when giving the law to the people of Israel out in the wilderness, God stressed this whole intent with His covenant with them. I will walk among you. I will be your God. And you will be 
my people. And because of the gift of Jesus Christ, this Emmanuel, we have the same promise from God. We have the same intent from Him. God continues to walk among us through the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. And He is our God and we are His people. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, as Peter puts it. And we find that God's influence upon us through Him has the same life-changing effects as we see in Joseph. Remember, he was already in his mind to divorce Mary quietly, but all of a sudden he reverses course. That's what happens when God gets hold of us through the power of His Holy Spirit. Our encounter with Jesus Christ changes us. Think about how Peter and James and John were changed. Think about how the woman at the well was changed. Think about how Zacchaeus was changed. Think about how Paul on that road to Damascus was changed when encountered by Jesus Christ. We see that all through the New Testament. And we still continue to see that even today. But it all comes back to God's willingness to come to us, to to be with us, and to never leave us and always love us. And I just want to ask you, who else does that in our life? Who else is always with us, never leaves us, never slumbers, never sleeps, and always loves us unconditionally? This is who God is. You know, we see Him like this even in Genesis at the beginning of Scripture. He used to walk in the garden through the cool of the day to be with those He had created. We see it in the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel, how He was there right with them. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. The gift of His presence continues through the prophets and His power at work in them and the miraculous works they were able to do because of God at work in their midst. We see it through God's presence in the temple of the Holy of Holies when His smoke filled the entire place. And it continues in the gift of His own Son, Jesus Christ, this gift of Emmanuel who is with us. And we see it even all the way to the end of Scripture. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men and women and young people and children. He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them. Indeed He is through the gift of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Advent. And not only that, it's the good news of the gospel. God with us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father,